Welcome to Sympathy for the Devil, a podcast about addiction with James Marshall and Adam Manavit. What is addiction? In this podcast, we explore addiction in its many and varied forms, from sugar to love, from alcohol to gambling, from work to sex. You can get addicted to heroin and alcohol, but can you get addicted to your phone or computer game? In this podcast, we talk to people whose lives have been affected by addiction. This is a program that explores what is and what it means to be addicted. Warning, the content of this program contains material that some people might find disturbing. Hello and welcome to the Sympathy for the Devil podcast. My name's Adam, with me is James. Hi, James. Hey, Adam, and welcome everyone to Sympathy for the Devil. Today on the podcast, we hear Jess's story. Jess is uh, a bit different to some of the other people we've had on thus far on the podcast. Uh, she's basically the daughter of a uh, polydrug user, um, Sydney, um, you know, Coogee, Bondi, Beach Suburbs, uh, late 80s kind of heroin and cocaine boom we had in Australia, um, and especially around those areas of the, the beach, the, the eastern beach suburbs of uh, Sydney. Um, and quite an interesting story because we see uh, the addiction through the eyes of a child uh, because Jess was a child at the time. And uh, she talks about, you know, this, um, you know, her dad being this um, mythical well, creature. Mythical creature, yeah. She is an interesting guest, but one we wanted to have on Sympathy for the Devil. And in a later episode, Adam talks about his family and how that impacted him. And Jess tells about growing up with a father as an as a addict um, and what it was like for her and you know a great story and I hope you'll enjoy you know funny kind of way let's hear what Jess has to say so my dad um, struggled with many addictions and I was exposed to that pretty much when I was born um, so I'm an only child Um, My parents were together for about five years before I was born um, and then it was important for my mum to really kind of take matters into her own hands and raise me and have sole custody of me. As that started to go, we started to go through that process um, of, you know, custody battles and all that sort of stuff, um, my father was extremely passionate about having access to me and staying in my life, even though he was really struggling with a lot of things. Um, And so was my grandmother, uh, my late grandmother, who is my my father's mother, um, was also very passionate about making sure that they stayed connected to me. And my mum, being the most amazing, gracious woman on on the earth, was extremely open to that. Um, However, there were boundaries and my mum had full custody of me. So um, on the weekends, I guess I had supervised custody. Uh, My dad, sorry, had supervised custody um, of me, which meant that I had to stay at my grandmother's house on the weekends um, and my dad was there. Um, So that's sort of how our journey started as as father and daughter. Um, And then... um, what what sort of happened from that period sort of 
until about five, you know, before you go to primary school. Dad would spend, Dad and I would spend a lot of time together on the weekends, but we'd sort of find creative ways of getting out of the supervised custody boundary. <laughs> so you're like, uh, like, you know, on the run. Yeah, we were. It was like, it were, and it was really exhilarating and fun a lot of the times. And so, you know, we'd end up in at parties, we'd end up in caves down at Coogee in Bronte, pretending we were fishermen, but we didn't have... Well, that's really, as a, as a child, I could imagine that would be really cool in yeah. a way. Like you're seeing your dad and we're doing these awesome things and there's no pressures of yeah. daily life, even as a five-year-old. Yeah, absolutely. And he, I mean, you know, you could say that he was kind of like a big kid, but really the way that I, the way that I saw him was just this kind of mystical creature um, who, you know, I had this gorgeous mother who created this beautiful safe environment for me 24 7 and then I'd go and spend time with my dad and it was just so obscure and no rules like we ate lollies the whole time and we'd stay up really late my grandmother didn't really seem to bat an eyelid like it was just this kind of so your grandmother was around your father or was he living with her uh no well he was kind of in and out so he would because he was really struggling um with a lot of things financially and with his addictions he um would stay in boarding houses and he'd stay at my grandmother's house he was always kind of in different places he'd disappear a lot of the time and i'd get a postcard from him saying that he was up in byron bay surfing I've still got those postcards. Um, They were really special to me because um, he'd write me letters because, you know, back then we're talking about the early 80s, like there were no, it's very hard to make phone calls. Like there was no real way to get in touch with people, especially if you're kind of just floating around. You got to find a pay phone and dad was struggling financially. So finding money to make the call. 30 cents to make the calls. Yeah. And if you're in Byron Bay. 1985. Yeah. And so we got a lot of reverse charges, a lot of reverse charge calls, um, which mum would sometimes um, deny because it was too late at night. But that dad just didn't understand boundaries. Um, And often he was, you know, unfortunately under the influence of things. So um, so I really cherish those letters because they felt very lucid, if that's the word. Like kind of, yeah. Jess, I just wanted to ask you at this point whether you were aware of his using, like he was using something or not present. I wanted to ask you about that. And, And also you mentioned the lack of boundaries. Mm. Um, was that like a consistent theme throughout your relationship with your father, those two things? Yes. Like first, were you aware that he was out of it or when were you aware that he was somehow not there, not Mm. present? Yeah. Um, Yes, uh, absolutely, because you realise that other dads didn't kind of look the way that my dad was looking. So the the signals for me, and and I'm still kind of in this era of like pre-primary school, right? So I was still picking up these, um, these signals. Um, you know, I could smell alcohol on him at weird times of the day. You know, I knew at a very young age that that, that adults drank adult juice. Like it was kind of like that's adult juice, that's children's juice. And but no one ever smelt like alcohol, right? So the fact that I could always smell it on him, um, he'd get to a point where he would just lose the magic between him and I would go. So often when we'd go on our adventures, we'd end up at a pub. Um, the Coogee Bay Hotel is a, is a place I struggle to go to um, because it was where I would lose my dad. 
every time we walked in there, I knew that after one or two beers or whatever it was, um, he'd be gone. Like he'd just be, I wouldn't have my fun dad with me. He would be just, you know, slurring his words and just saying strange things and not, it had glazed over eyes. Um, and then there were other times where, you know, he'd go into a back room and ruffle around in his bag and he'd come back and um, this would be at my grandmother's and then I'd be sitting up watching TV or something and I'd turn around and he was like head down, cigarette in his hand, you know, half asleep. Um, <clears throat> so Nodding off. Isn't nodding it? off, yeah. yeah. Um, I put that down to um, more synthetic um, op- opiates um, because – so my father, before he met my mother, the background of his addictions was that he – was an extreme heroin user um, to the point where he had literally no veins. And, and that's another another thing that he educated me on very early. Um, I remember we were down at La Perouse and he was showing me the art. Is it the army barracks or the, like the... Yeah, Lapa. Lapa, yeah. yeah. He's like yeah. telling me this story about the. Yeah, I didn't even know if it was real because my dad made up a lot of stories. And they were very fu- they were funny. Oh, well, you know, if you're high, then like, <laughs> you know, you're very creative. Yeah, yeah exactly. And you know, I'm a creative person, <laughs> you are. so like really worked. You know, so I would like listen to these stories. And I remember, still, this is like really, really young. I can't even I can't even tell you how young I was. I can't remember, but I just remember remember Dad saying, "Look, see how you've got these veins in your arm. Look at Dad's veins." And dad doesn't have any. And I was like, oh, and he's, and he was very honest. So he was, uh, dad struggled with a drug called heroin. And um, it means that you have to put the drug in your vein with a syringe and explain things very systematically to me. How old were you when he said? Oh, I, look, I'm, st- I guess maybe I'm really young. Like I just remember being really little. Um, I could have been maybe six or seven. Maybe even younger. Um, you know, Dad was always about telling the truth. So he told me that Santa Claus wasn't real way too early, right? So I went to school and I was like, hey, guys, Santa Claus isn't real. And then people were like, what? And, like, the teacher came up to me and was like, you can't be saying that to the kids. And I'm like, but my dad told me. But I was like, but because he said, he said Santa Claus isn't real. And I was like, okay, well, what about the Easter Bunny? And he said, not real. And I said, okay, what about the tooth fairy? And he said, real. (laughs) (laughs) And so I was like, but the tooth fairy's real. And, um, and I think that was either his like mystical creature talking or the dad, the, the actual sensible dad in him, because he had a little bit of it. Um, yeah, he had to leave something. Yeah, and he he actually the irony the irony in all of this is he he lost all of his teeth because of his heroin addiction. So he was very he was yeah, very passionate funny. about teeth. Yeah. So I don't know, it's like quite a hilarious story. But can, um, can, and, can I go back yeah, a bit? Yeah. So you said that you were um you know your father was an extreme heroin heroin yes. user before yeah. you were born. Yes. So I'm just your mum seems how you've just how you talked about your mum seems very um you know straighty one eighty. Mm. Um. How did that? How did they get together? Yeah, so um, my dad, so my dad was a um, music, musician. Um, so he was very involved in, you know, if you think about the seventies in in Sydney, um, there was a big art scene, um, big music scene, um, live music scene, and my dad was a big part of that. 
Um, and my mum was as well. And so they met at a party. My dad was, ex- so one, I just want to be clear when my mum met my dad, he was no longer, no longer using heroin because he'd just come out of, um, Salvation Army rehab. So he went, he's prided himself that he went cold Turkey, but he didn't really, but anyway, we just was like, okay, dad. Um, and so he was kind of, I guess when he met my mum, he was, he was doing okay. You know, and then she she was able to get him at a good time in his life, um, but then he, and and they shared a they shared a really beautiful interest in music. They shared a really special, um, beautiful love. But my mum just realised that you know you, it was just such a dysfunctional situation. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of how that came about. But my mum made the right decision and to, to leave when she did. And, um, you know, I, you know, I sit here today because of both of them and I'm really glad she removed me as much as she could from the situation. Um, I remember two very distinctive moments that terrified me. Um, and, um, so prior to that, prior to being really scared, one of my funnest moments was my dad was at a party and he was got on the drums and I sat by his feet and I remember looking up at him and he like ripped his shirt off and his hair was flying everywhere and he just looked amazing. And I was like, wow, my dad, like the mystical creature, like, and his hands were just moving so fast on those drums. And I was absolutely in awe of him. And I never saw him in that light ever again. And I'm so glad that I had that moment with him um, because after that, things started to get super scary. Now, I don't know if that was because I was getting older and becoming more cognizant of what was right and what was wrong or if he was getting worse. So perhaps like delve into that journey a bit about um, becoming more aware of uh, your father's um, using, um, how it affected you, how it made you feel. Yeah. Um, Yeah, sure. Because, I mean, I guess like, I mean, my mother was also, uh, is also an alcoholic. Um, and my father as well, but more so my mother. And I, that lost, I, I, when I think back to those times, I think about, yeah, I think about the fun times of laughing and just being like, this is crazy. Like, you know, like I remember driving at my mum, my mother driving around drunk in yeah. Shepparton, laughing at, um, laughing at the name of the milk, the local milk, which is called Duckets. Like, yeah, Duckets yeah. is a funny word. And, yeah. but she was off her dial. Like, she's never been driving with a yeah. child in the car. I know. So that's an example of one yeah. of my things. Um, but then you also remember the lack of control you felt. Yes. So did you feel that? Yeah. So um, one, my first big scary moment was we were in the caves and um, the waves started to like get really high, like come up really high. And we only had a packet of chocolate freckles, um, which was our food. And dad was like, okay, so the waves are getting really high. We're probably going to have to stay here. And I was like, no, no, we just go back like we always do. And he's like, no, but the tide's coming up. So we're going to probably have to sleep here tonight. And I was petrified and I was like, I don't want to stay here, dad. Like, and he said, well, we've got, let's count how many freckles we've got. We've got 15 freckles. Um, we've got how many hours? And he started doing all these maths with the freckles and the hours. And I was like, then I was kind of like trying to do the maths with him. And then I was like, no, dad, I want to get out of here. I'm not, I don't, I'm cold. I'm scared. I want mom. Like I just was terrified. And so we, we left and um, 
we got out just before the tyre. So that was a very dangerous situation. And um, then we were walking. It started to rain. And we were walking towards Coogee, towards the Coogee Bay Hotel. And my dad picked me up on his back because it started to bucket down. And we were running and we fell. He fell and I went flying. So we're down at that promenade area of Coogee. I still find it really hard to be around that area, actually. And um, I remember looking over and there were these adults standing there and they looked at us and they looked absolutely horrified. Now, I was a little person. I felt so embarrassed. I felt like it was my fault. Like I actually, I will never forget those two people who did nothing as well, by the way, but they just looked at the way they looked at me. It was like, I was, I was, I was like a piece of trash and I felt like everything in that moment was my fault. And that has taken me a long time to let go of. I can intellectualize that now as an adult. Absolutely. And I, I look after that little Jess like no tomorrow and I care about her. Um, But there are still moments when that sticks with me and that's not okay, you know. And dad got up and I was like, dad, I just lost it at him. I was like, dad, like I don't, I just want to go home. Like just the party was over. That was the, that was the moment you became an adult. Yeah. And I was probably about five. Like I was little and, um, and the, so that was one and then the next one and that started the the anger and the arguments with my dad because then he started to argue with me. So instead of saying, I'm so sorry, like I'll protect you and I'll take you home, he was trying to get me to go to the pub with him. And it's pouring with rain, right? Like it's not a beautiful sunny day down at Coogee. If, even then it wouldn't be okay. But you know what I mean? Like you've got all these dramatic elements around you that are really adding to – how you're feeling and like I just and mum lived in in the inner west and dad lived in Coogee so that was a far away it felt everything my paradise felt so far away um and then the other super scary this is like this took some therapy to sort through dad we were doing our usual escape from nan scenario and dad and I were going down to Bondi to to a friend's party, um, and I was cool with the parties because they his friends were just hilarious and they were really colourful and there was always music and it was always like a fun, happy environment and they were so lovely to me. Um, but anyway, we walked into this place and this house, and there was nothing in this place. Right? Like it was your typical junkie place, basically, but there was nothing in there. Everything was black and white. Like everything just looked black and white. People looked like scary monsters. I just remember things being black and white and scary monsters. And then my dad said, I remember feeling straight away like, oh, I don't want to be here. And my dad said to me, um, Can you, you're going to wait here with this man and this woman. And dad's just going to go out for a sec to get some cigarettes. Or it was just like he normalized it, like go to the shops, you know. And all of a sudden no one was in the house and it was just me and these two adults. Now, they didn't do anything to me, thank God, but they were completely out of it. Um, They put 
I was petrified at this point. And they put The Hunchback of Notre Dame on in black and white, which is a very dark film. <laughs> yeah, it didn't, it didn't, light, uh, didn't lighten the mood, that's for sure. No. And especially when I was like into My Little Pony and like The Little Mermaid and, you know, those sorts of things, I was like, I don't want to watch this. And I said, I don't want to. I remember saying, I don't want to watch this. And they said, well, you don't have a choice. And they were just like really crabby and angry and just in just dark space. Dad came back eventually. I was just absolutely inconsolable. I felt so extremely terrified. And at that point, I was like, okay, I've got to tell mum what's going on here. I have to tell her that this is what's been happening. Because he used to say, don't tell mum, don't tell mum. So he'd kind of, I feel I feel a bit bad, like dad's up there listening to all of this, but like he knows all these stories and I've spoken, I had spoken to him about all of this. So um, I feel like I'm kind of saying really bad things about him, but this is the reality, right? This was the truth. Yeah. This was my truth and I've got to, you know, I'm, I've got to be okay to tell it. Yeah, so I told mum, that's right, thanks. Um, so mum came to pick me up and I just ran into her arms because she's such a positive, happy, loving person and our house was really colourful. So you've got all of a sudden, I've got this, I was in black and white and I'm like kind of Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz, like, and now I'm stepping back into my colourful world. And I just said, mummy... Daddy took me to a party. She was like, what? And I just told her everything. I said, she's like, does he do this all the time? And I said, yes. Sometimes we stay up really late. And she's like, oh, my God. Like, she was just beside herself. And, um, you know, for my whole life, she's always asked me, Did like, has anything ever happened to you, like, in a bad way? Did anyone do anything to you? To which no one did. So I'm really, I'm really lucky, but can you, you know, yeah. like I was the only little person there. I was a cute little girl. Like, yeah. um, so I was protected. Something, someone in the universe was protecting me. Um, and then, um, yeah, so, so they were the, there were many other scary moments, but they were the two really big ones that really stand out for me. And it involves, it's interesting. It involves color and like rain and, you know, like, so I'm, as a result in my life now, I'm really I have to have color around me all the time, and I'm okay with rain, but like I have to have color in my life because I'm so traumatized from that black and white experience. Mm. Well, I think that kind of is a great metaphor for for using drugs. Mm. Is that it is very muted in terms of feelings, in terms mm. of representation in the world, how you are in the world. Yeah. It's all just muted and it is yeah. it is a color and when you do get clean you do see mm. a vividness yeah. to the world and it's interesting that as a little girl you were able to pick up on that darkness and light mm. yeah of using and being clean yeah you know well, they're really different you know and yeah. a little girl could actually see it in terms of color yeah you know and that's that's exactly what it is you know yeah. it's a powerful it's so true. powerful metaphor it's yeah so true so, so what yeah, happened next? Like, like what happened? So when, yeah, um, yeah we're into this story. Yeah. <laughs> that primary school period was just chaos with my father. I started to not want to go and see him. He was like, not really around. My nan didn't know where he was. Like the, it was almost like the fantasy of having a beautiful little, little person in your life had like worn off. And it was like, my mum was just nailing it as a parent, like as a, 
double parent, single parent. She was doing everything. And, and so it was almost like I'm, I'm thinking for him, he was probably thinking, well, she's doing it. I don't really have a place in this. Jess is angry at me all the time. Like I started to get really angry with my dad. I didn't, I was very conflicted because I loved him so much. Like, and he was the funniest person I have ever known in my life. Like I cannot tell, he used to make me laugh so much, but when his um, synthetic, I would, let's just call it synthetic heroin. Cause that was, um, I know that he was like heavily addicted to that and alcohol and gambling. All of that was happening. I just, it was just getting worse and worse. And worse. My father was probably about, let's say like between 35 and early forties. Um, that's kind of the period of where he just went down again. That would have been, and it wasn't the first time he went down cause he went way down way before my mum. And my grandmother tried and she tried like all good mums do with their sons. And my dad was just losing people all around him. And he was, had a, he had a, um, a partner who they had an extremely turbulent relationship. Like they were both drinkers and, and then she fell pregnant. Oh, this was so weird. She fell pregnant to another man who was in, in jail. So my dad's like, oh, Marlene's pregnant. And I was like, oh, do I have a brother and a si- or a sister? And he's like, no, 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 it's not mine. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> what? And he's like, oh, she's she she's fell pregnant to her ex-boyfriend who's in jail. And I was like, what? How did she get in the cell? And dad's like, don't ask those questions. And I was like, this is so, okay, so confusing. And she wants you to get, name the child. And I was like, really? And he's like, what's your favorite girl's name? And I was like, Leah. And he's like, done. And he told and she named her daughter Leah. Like, just weird stuff, right? How old were you then? Well, that was when I was in my early, uh, like, I was probably like 12. And every time I would see him, like, he'd come to all my athletics carnivals and I just, I just couldn't stand seeing him. Like, he'd put his arms around me and I'd just be like, because I was a get, becoming a big girl now and I was just like, get out of my life. Like, I didn't want anything to do with him, actually. I wrote my father a letter. And I was in year 12 and again, there were no mobile, well, there were mobiles, but they were bricks and I certainly didn't have one. And I wrote him a letter and I said, I'm about to go into my final year at school. Um, I do not want you to contact me at all. Do not come to the house. Un- Cause he used to come to the house unannounced. He'd ring at all, all sorts of times and just be ranting on like, you know, you know, it's like, as I said, the party was over a long time ago and he was still in it thinking he could pull me in and it's like no 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 yeah party's over bud like last drink slights on yeah yeah we're, yeah. Not, we're not getting we're, you're not taking anyone home now yeah everyone, yeah yeah everyone looks uglier in the light yeah yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> and i was like nah sorry and i um wrote him this letter and i just said do not contact me do not do this do not, you know like set all these boundaries and i said i this is so important to me that i get i was like focused on getting this mark because i looked at the, the lowest mark that I needed to get to get into a Sydney, a Sydney city-ish university, and it was Bachelor of Arts, University, Western Sydney University was like 64 or something. I remember it was like 64, 60 something. And I was like, this is the mark I'm getting because I'm going to university. So I thought I'll get in and then I'm going to nail that and then I'm going to transfer and I'm going to go to, you know. 
um, like the athlete came out in me and um, I said, this is when I get my results. This is the date of my results. And you are allowed to contact me from that moment, but please don't because I want to be the first to contact you and I will call you at Nana's house. So you need to be at Nana's house on that day so I can tell you and Nan what mark I got. So that's the rule. And he stuck to it. And I called him up and I, you know, my nan up and I was like, this is what I got. And, and dad was like in tears and he's like, I've been trying this whole year to get myself back together and get back on the, you know, and, um, we tried to repatch things, but he just still kept falling, you know, and he was just, um, he was just mm, so sad. Like he was just, it's so sad. And I, I feel, I feel sad at this point because, I started, you know, I'm going into my early 20s now. I'm starting to build a career for myself. I'm starting to earn money. Um, I'm doing well at things. I did really well at university. Um, I majored in journalism and came second in my degree. And, you know, I was doing so well and I was I was so proud of things. And dad was trying really hard. And um, But he, I was just flourishing and he was just going deeper and deeper and deeper. Or he was he was at a point of almost diminishing returns. Like he was just kind of, you know. Um, Where all junkies get um, at some stage. Mm. So uh, leading up until that, he was um, in between houses, boarding ho- those boarding houses. Oh, my God. I'm, I stayed in one of them with him once. It was awful. Like I just scary, scary places. Um, and he used to like take me there in the day. Oh, anyway. Those, those black and white worlds. So, oh, yeah. God. Mm. Yeah, I'll I know never the ones forget you're the smell about. They're very of them. sterile. Everyone has sad sadness on oh, their faces. Oh, it's awful. Yeah, I know the ones you're talking it's about. It's so hideous. Um, anyway, so he finally got this housing commission place. Now he was offered a lot of housing commission places, but he refused to leave um, the beaches because that's where he lived his whole life. So he was getting offered places in Mount Druid and you know Liverpool, and he was like, "No, I'm fucking going there." And and I'm like, "Right, okay, like you." Anyway, um, <laughs> it's another story. Um, so he, he gets this place in Bronte and it's literally the only housing commission commission place in yeah, Bronte. Like the only place. Yeah, it's the only place <laughs> surrounded by mansions. And this place was like a small housing commission block, right, of people that were quite elderly. And he got the top floor that had panoramic views of Bronte. This place changed my dad for the better. Like this is where we saw my dad start to redeem himself and come back to life. Um, but in the lead up to that, this is a really interesting story. I was really proud of him for getting it, right? So I'm about 25 at this point. I go and pick him up from this shithole that he was living in. It was just disgusting. Um, and I picked him up because we were going to take his television over to his new place. He wanted to show me his new place. He was really proud of it. And he was completely out of it, right? At this point, I was just like, oh, just kind I was beyond, kind of beyond the anger because I really missed my dad when I had that year away from him um, and I wanted to find a way to have him in my life but in, with boundaries and levers that I could control now as an adult and that was working well for me and I was accepting that he was a damaged addict and we weren't he wasn't ever going to get better so I just I took I took ownership over my decisions that if I'm going to go and see him he's probably going to be intoxicated so anyway, we get to, I get to his house and I never wanted to go into this house. I went into it once and I hated it. And I've been, that was one of my boundaries was to never go into places 
It still is, like, to this day. Even me- even meeting rooms in certain buildings and whatever, I get a bad vibe. I can't be in there. I walked in to get him and I was like, Dad, I told you to be waiting downstairs. I told you I don't want to come in here. And he's like, oh, well, just relax and yeah, I'll be there in a minute. And he was just stuffing around on something. And I walked, like, to the back of this apartment. I don't know why, but I walked to the back and I looked in this room and it was about the same size as this room, so a small kind of sunroom kind of vibe. And all over the walls was writing, right? So he had written rambles all over the wall, like typical junkie, right? Writing poems, writing like weird stuff. Um, my name was everywhere. Um, it was like there was... Yeah, just like everything you can imagine, right? It was like half work of art and like, oh, my God, like this is a creative person's dream and a, or a documentary person's dream. Um, but also like, oh, my God, my dad is very ill. Like I always knew that, but I kind of – my life started to become so amazing that I was like, holy shit, this stuff is going on still, Right? So I was like, dad, what the hell is this? And he's like, oh, fucking whatever, leave it. And I was like, you don't own this place. Like, how are you going to pay for this? Because never had any money. I didn't give him money ever. He called me a massive tight ass, but I'm not. But it's like, because I just wouldn't give him a cent ever. And he, he was like, oh, whatever. Then he like, he goes, mate, look at this. And I walked out and he had a machete in his hand and he was waving it around like thinking it was funny. And I was like, oh my God, here I am again in this situation, terrified, but I'm a big girl now. And I was like, I lost it. I was like, get the fuck away from me. And I just like kind of fought him off. And then I went into the car and I was, I just screamed at this point. And then he came downstairs like, oh, you take everything so seriously. And like, it was all a big game for him. Um, and I ended up taking him to his house and whatever. And I just, instead of just, I just tried to find a way for peace. Um, anyway, so that was a bit of a pivotal moment and we, we got there in the end. Sorry. He moved to his housing commission and I loved it. He loved it. He was happy. Um, he was calm. He was drinking a lot less. Um, yeah, big time. Big time. My grandmother started to get sick, so he became like her full-time carer. So he was like incredible with her. He was a real – he loved his community in Bronte. He knew all the people that are in the shops. He um, knew all the famous people <laughs> that lived around him. Um, everyone knew his name. Um, we used to go out for dinner, him, mum and I, um, had never been out to dinner together, right? Wow. And this one time we went over to his place because he's like, oh, can you just bring mum with you? You know, I just want her to see my apartment. And I was like, oh, okay. I was like, mum, dad really wants you to see the apartment. And she's like, oh, do I really need to? And I'm like, yes, can you just do it? Just, let's just do it. Like, because um, she didn't really have a relationship with him at all. And um, anyway, we get there and he's like pumping blues music, like the music that they used to listen to. Back, maybe. Yeah. And it's like echoing like through the, um, through the stairwell. And 
I, mum's like, oh, God, nothing's changed. And at this point, like, I it was funny. Like, usually going up those stairs, I would be petrified, right? I'd, every time. That was my, that was my all, every time feeling when I was about to see my dad. What state is he going to be in? And I wasn't, I didn't have that feeling for some reason. Right. And I just was, I was calm and we were going up the stairs and we went in and, and he's like, oh, my girls. And he was normal. It was like my dad. And I was like, oh my God. And I hugged him and I was like, like sniffed him to see if there was like smells of chemicals or like, um, you know, it all seeps from your pores um, or alcohol, nothing. House was clean. I was like, okay. Is this a joke? Yeah, I'm like, oh, what's going on? And then um, and then I was sitting on the couch and I saw a hose like sticking out like from underneath and I pulled it out and I was like, what is this? And mum's like, oh, darling, I think that's obvious, like for like smoking marijuana. And I was like, mum, that do you not, this is not funny. I was like, dad, what is this? And he's like, oh, would you relax? That's not mine. And I was like... <laughs> Like, it's like you're a cop or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not mine. And I looked over in the window and then he's like growing all this marijuana. I was like, what the hell? And he's like, that, that's not mine. That's Jack's downstairs. And I was like, he's like, I've got the sunlight. And I was like, oh God, fine. I'll take it. I'll take it. You know, his dad's normal. He had two big ferns, like palm ferns in his house. So they'd literally hit the ceiling and had grown down. And he made my mom <laughs> sit under the tree. He's like... Dale, come over here, <laughs> come over here, sit in this seat. And so she sat down and he sh- sh- shimmered them all over and put them over her head. And she and he's like, now look out that window. Through the trees. Through the trees. Isn't that beautiful? And my yeah. mum's like, wow, this is gorgeous. And I was looking at both of them like. This must have been surreal to you. Oh, it was so weird. It was so weird. And then dad's like, all right, let's go for a walk and maybe we can get some Thai food. And I was like. <laughs> <laughs> Dinner. Like, as in sit down and eat dinner. And he's like, yeah. And mum's like, hmm, that might be a nice idea. And I was like, uh, can we just acknowledge something here? We've never done that before. And they were like, well, you know, let's do it now. And so we went to dinner and then um, dad's like, well, I think we should get a bottle of wine. And I was like, absolutely not. And mum's like, um, well, I think we should, but you and I, Jess, can have the wine and dad can't have any and I'm like oh okay cool are you are you okay with that dad and he's like are you kidding me I said all right you can have I thought I'm gonna test this you can have half a glass and he's like half a glass and he stuck to it what he did afterwards who knows but um I knew he wasn't clean right so Mm. this wasn't him um yeah being trying to be sober but he tried really hard for that for that yeah right yeah and that's what I what I took um and from that point, so for the next five or six years, twice a year, the three of us would go out for dinner. And it was the best. It was honestly like, and, you know, he would come sometimes turn up a little bit drunk. And, you know, I, I just would, the fact that we could all sit there and have a conversation. And my dad was a calmer man and he, he there was a part of him that had rehabilitated and I could really see that. So dad and I would, were at a point now where we were talking nearly every day on the phone and he'd just check in with me. He finally got a mobile phone and he was text, he'd text me random things. Like he'd just text me a picture of a flower or of, you know, cause he had one of those like phones that had nothing on it 
but those like free pictures. <laughs> so you just like text like a, a, you know, a stock picture or whatever they're called. And um, anyway, so I was at work um, and I had all these missed calls from my mum and I was, my mum knows when I'm at work, if I don't answer, um, it's just because I'm busy and I'll call her back. But the fact that there were so many phone calls, um, I picked up, I was like, and I, this was just, this is really strange. For some reason, I thought my mum's house had been robbed. I have no idea why I thought that. And that's something for further investigation, I think, because there's no reason why I would have thought my mum's house would have been robbed. Like, she lives in high security apartment. It's not the 90s where you've got, like, houses being robbed all the time. Like, And um, anyway, I got on the phone and she just said, I was like, Mum, are you okay? And she's like, I'm fine, but I've got something to tell you. Darling, your father has passed away. And I'd spoken to him two days before that and had such a good conversation with him. I used to call him every Tuesday night on my way home from work because I always work late on Tuesdays. And we just had the best best conversation and he'd start, he was in a, at a point where he was giving me advice on things and um, I fell, I just fell on the floor and it was the most awful day of my life. And um, I just remember all these people pulling pulling me in to this meeting room and putting up all these um, sheets around the room and I was just crying. I don't even know where my phone was. Like my boss had my phone and was talking to my mum and and he's like, he said, what did the police say? And I, I heard the word police and I just, I thought he's killed himself, he's overdosed, um, he's, someone's hurt him because he didn't have very savoury friends, let's be honest. And I I just thought something awful had happened to him. And I was like, police, why are the police there? And I just freaked out. And um, anyway, <clears throat> mum picked me up. We're on our way. And I was just like, oh, my God. So what had happened was his friend lived on the ground floor of his apartment and he went downstairs. So he'd been, he'd been done his shopping, took his shopping upstairs, went down to his friend's place said, I don't feel well. And his friend said, take a seat. And he just died. Police came, cleared it of a crime scene. Ambulance couldn't resuscitate him. He did, obviously it wasn't a vision of health. Um, and he did suffer from hypertension. So we think that it could have been to do with like an, a, a heart a heart thing. Or I like to just think that his time was up and he just left us peacefully. Because um, I was always terrified that he, I'd find him overdosed like that was my biggest fear in life that he'd die from drugs and you could argue that yeah well that killed him in the end yeah Yeah. but I just didn't and I I said dad when you leave this earth I don't want to find that I don't want it to be because you died of an overdose I just need you to promise me that and he was always like oh well I can't so that was hard um but anyway I got there and um they'd moved his body into my um his friend's room you know, away from because he was in the lounge room. And um, I walked in and I said to Jack, who's his friend, I said, where, where is dad? And he said, oh, he's, we've just moved him in here. And I said, well, move away. So I need to see my dad. He goes, oh, I don't think that's a good idea. And I was like, Jack, step away. I need to see my dad. Like he was, this man was quite possessive of my dad. And um, 
And then mum's like, that's Jessica's process. She needs to see the dead body. And I'm like, thanks, mum. <laughs> what is it, CSI? Yeah, I know. I did that with my two grandmothers. I'm like, needed to see their bodies. Um, and then I went in, I shut the door. And I just said to him, are you fucking serious? Like I was, I just said, are you fucking serious? Like, what, what am I supposed to do now? Like, how you went, this wasn't supposed to happen. And I had this like chat with him and then I just lay down next to him and gave him a massive hug and his heart was still warm. And I just put my hand there and, and I just said, well, you know, I'll, you know, I've got this, I'll continue to, you know, be a strong girl and thanks for, you know, allowing us to repair our relationship and I'll love you for life. Like, I'm so, you know, glad I had you. And then I had to organise his funeral and pack his house up. Housing Commission were great because they allowed me a few weeks to do that, or a couple of months. And then they called me, they're like, this is not a charity. Get his shit out now. Um, so packing up his place was extreme um, because I was very afraid of what I might find there. Um, so I had a team of, of amazing girlfriends who helped me. And the rules were if you found anything that was drugs, um, just get rid of it. Don't tell me. And it, when I'm ready in my life, I will ask you, did you find anything? And I need you to tell me the truth. Um, and so I was just in his bedroom um, and all the girls did everything else. And yeah, I'd like that was a really interesting process because I got to know him even more. You know, because I got to like see how he archived his things and the way he folded his clothes and um, the sorts of things that he wrote down. So I, one of the things I asked the girls to do was anything that was paper, like a bill, a letter, a you know, a lottery ticket, anything that was paper based, put it all in a pile. Because my father used to write random things on on pieces of paper, and I wanted to capture capture that. And he also um, cause he plays music so loud. He had all of these complaint written complaint letters from all the neighbors and he kept them all. Gary, turn your music down. And then one woman was like, this is getting out of control. I'm calling the police, like all this rant, rant, rant about his music. And then she said, can you please buy me the paper on Saturday? <laughs> this old woman was, <laughs> there was all these hilarious things. I've kept all of that. Um, but yeah, that was the kind of finale of like, um, closing the loop on my dad and understanding him more. Because I, 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 I have trouble with that term closure because mm. in some ways I don't think it ever really closes. No. It's just something you deal with throughout your yes. life in different ways. Yeah, definitely. I, um, I miss him. Yeah. It's not fully closed, but I've got closure on certain nuances that I needed that has helped me to heal and helped me to have a very healthy relationship with my dad. So I still believe that I have a relationship with my dad, but it's just in a different form. Um, I feel him around me all the time. I dream about him very much. Um, nine times out of 10, they're really good dreams of, of him in his afterlife. And he's always traveling. He's always, I'm always ringing him going, dad, where are you? And he's like, oh, I'm in Paris. It's really good. Like he's, He's always in these other countries traveling, um, which is really fascinating. Mm. Um, and he's happy and he's just, I'm having these really lucid dreams of 
with about him conversations that I needed to have. It's really powerful stuff. Mm. Very, very powerful. And occasionally I will have an awful nightmare mm. of him just in his depths of despair in the way that I had seen him in his life. Um, but yeah, I um, miss him. Oh my God, like beyond. I miss him so much and I, I feel so sad that he's not here. Mm. I feel so sad that because um, we were just getting started. You know, and that's what I said in my eulogy. I was like, mate, we were just getting started. Like um, with with getting this right, the the equilibrium between him and I um, was so out for so long and we got it. We got it back. And I I wouldn't say that it would have lasted like that forever, but um, to even have it with him as an adult was like having it with him when I was a little kid before I realised all the stuff was going on. Um, But he, um, what saddens me as well is that he never got to see me be a mum. I'm, I'm not a mum at the moment, but he, I would have loved him to have been a granddad. Um, I think that would have given him a huge amount of um, joy to see me become a mum. Um, we often talked about that. Um, so, yeah, I, yeah. I I struggle I struggle with the sadness of him not being here, but I'm very much I very much accept that he's gone, and I am I accept that death is a reality, um, and I'm the first of all my friends to lose a parent, and everyone was just freaked out. We went all went out for dinner a couple of days after he passed away. There was about ten of us, and I walked in, and I was just like a shell of myself. Like I was, it was a terrible time. Um, and I sat down and they're like, everyone's like, Oh, sweetie, do you want a glass of wine? Like, do what do you need? What do you need? Everything, everything. And I was like, look, guys, I'm going to call out the elephant in the room. I'm the first cab off the rank to lose parent. And I know you all love me, but I can see the terror in your eyes that you don't want this to happen to yourself, like to your own parents, but you know it's going to happen, right? And they were all like really teary. And I said, I promise to show you that you can continue to live your life without your parents, parent, parents. Um, I will show you that you will see highs and lows. I've got no idea what is coming for me in all of this, but I will show all of you that you can continue to be a strong, amazing, happy person and have a relationship with your parent or parents in a very different manifestation. And I made that promise to my best friends. And just saying that out loud um, was really good because it allows me to be super vulnerable at times. But then I also feel like they're my brothers and my sisters and I've got to be strong for them. Because being an only child, I've got only myself to be strong for. You know, my parent, my mum was more upset for me than she was losing my dad. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Great story. Thank you for joining us on Simavi for the Devil Podcast, Jess. Thanks yeah. for having me. Yeah, thanks so much, Jess. It was really a really revealing and intimate story, and um, I'm sure a lot of people will get a lot out of it. Yeah, thank so, you. Thank you. Thanks, guys. To join the discussion, visit our Facebook page, Sympathy for the Devil Podcast. And let us know what you think.